One billion years in the future, Earth still exists, though maybe not as we imagine it. Eras upon bygone eras worth of technology have been left behind by eight previous and fallen civilizations. It is now up to the denizens of the Ninth World to piece together what was left behind. Perhaps they're looking to carve out their place in the world, or simply to survive a land riddled with weird and unearthly dangers. Or perhaps still, they just wish to learn and uncover the secrets of the Numenera. Whatever it is this new era of adventurers and heroes is looking to discover, they'll have to dig through the imprinted echoes of the past to find it. Hello, and welcome to Imprinted Echoes, a family-friendly Numenera actual play podcast. My name is Zan, and I'm your GM. Thanks for joining us today, and as always, we hope you're staying safe and healthy. Well, this is it. Episode 73 marks the end of Rhapsody, the season one arc for Imprinted Echoes. When we started this show, I knew the story I wanted to bring to the table, but I didn't know the adventure it would take us on. For a brief moment, I lamented the fact that this finale is not a big epic fight or a climactic send-off for these characters. But then I realized... That isn't the kind of story we tend to tell here on Imprinted Echoes. So instead, this is a time of healing, connection, and community. Thank you all for listening along to our stories. Stories that are, that have been, and will yet be. And there are so many more to tell. I hope you'll join us for them. After this episode, I'll have some more info about upcoming show content and some special thank yous to deliver. But without further ado, the season one finale. Plans have been put into motion to make sure that all those living in Legam are able to do so comfortably. And with city planning underway, our adventurers take some time to reflect on the journey that they've had together. Backstories are revealed, friends are returned, and new trajectories are set into motion. Join us as Nehemiah, Smallren, and Jory complete the Rhapsody. What's wrong without being cozy about it? I don't know. I think um, sometimes things hurt a little too much, you know? And Smallren's just going to kind of look at her and just going to put down the three fur coverlets she's carrying and put the dark glasses on top of them, just kind of next to the elevator. I think Nehemiah will find these when he comes back up. And I also think you're in need of a debrief. A debrief? In my previous line of work, any sort of job as long and stressful and potentially upsetting as this one would be followed by some sort of a debrief session. We needed to make sure that everyone was in the appropriate headspace to continue working the way we needed them to, and was not going to be distracted or upset in a way that would be dangerous moving forward into other jobs. We went to a different dimension. You were forced into a situation that was perhaps reminiscent of things you didn't want to think about. And then we came back here, and none of us have talked about it. Yeah, that's, um, true. 
I, I don't know how to talk about things very well. Well, as I said, I'm not a cosy person. I don't think any of this is about feelings, particularly. I think it's about knowing how what's going through your head is affecting the way you're interacting with what's around you. I don't know. I, I think that might have a lot to do with feelings. If that's helpful for you. At that point, Nehemiah, who leaves Delaman down below to reacclimate with everything, catch back up with E-225, and up from that elevator, Nehemiah pops out to the end part of that phrase there, talking about feelings. Oh, hey. How y'all doing? <laughs> I was telling Jory that we may want to do a debrief on the mission we just accomplished. Mm. Uh, that's probably a good idea. You want to stay down here or go for a walk? Jory? Uh, maybe a walk. That sounds kind of nice. Walk's good. Oh, and I was able to find several coverlets, and Rufus made me promise to bring back their goggles exactly as they gave them to me. But this is their spare pair. All right, very quickly. I'll run those back down to Delamain. Mm-hmm. Pop them on, and then head out. <sighs> that was weird. All of that. Are you in the appropriate place that we can debrief? Yeah, I think so. Where would you like to go? I think Nehemiah would kind of head towards the outskirts of the city in the grasslands, just so that we can get away from people and look back at the city, get a really good look at it for the first time since we've been back. You head out just outside the wall and a little bit farther and just turn around and view everything. Mm -hmm. Walls that have shifted, the orb above everything, the vague outlines of people milling about trying to make this place a little bit new with everything that's been going on. You all stand outside the city, find a little outcropping of rocks, little area where you can sit down, look back at everything that's happened to Legam so far, which has been a lot. You just let that silence kind of sit there for a moment. You know, at least it wasn't the meat place. <laughs> we could still be in the meat place. I mean, we're kind of in the meat place, but that place was like way more meat. Like that was weird and bad, but at least we weren't covered in blood the whole time. So, you know, <laughs> bonuses. <sighs> Smallrin is resisting the urge to point out that while not covered, we currently are all full of blood at all times. Because she feels like it won't be helpful. <laughs> <sighs> so, Jory, you said that you thought feelings played a big part in this. How are you feeling? Well, I mean, we did go through quite a bit in a very short span of time, including becoming sound. I mean, there's, there's a lot of feelings there, right? I can't be the only one. Yeah. I'll be honest. I mean, for me, like I'm taking it in a stride, but I think that's just because I, I used to do a lot of cruddy stuff. I feel real good about what we did. Me too. Like we were right on the knife's edge there for a while, but we did something unequivocally good. And for the first time in a long time, I don't have any mixed emotions about that. I will say as feelings go, 
This one is good. I agree. We did a lot of good. We rescued a bunch of people, even, which is, that's, that's fabulous, isn't it? It is. I think so. So, perhaps then, we need to dig into why it is, Jory, that you aren't feeling only good. Um, Speaking from experience, this is the sort of thing that not only ruins jobs, but can eventually ruin people. This is something that you need to decide when and where you're going to talk about, but you do need to talk about it. <sighs> I've been on the other side of this, you know. Of what? Uh, res- rescue situation. I guess. Someone pulled you out of the fire? No, no, that's just it. Nobody did. I think when you're a kid, you think, you know, somebody's going to help. And they don't. And it's it doesn't make any sense for a long time. And then it kind of dawns on you that um, you're both alone and nobody's going to help you. Both? Yeah, yeah you, you know, like yourself and whoever you might be with. <laughs> Both sounds a little specific there, Jory. It's because, um, well, we, uh, we were going to escape, you know, something. And, um, I was going to escape somewhere and, um, somebody was coming with me. And, I mean, we'd been there for years. We didn't really think it's possible until, um, you realize that nobody's coming to help you. And you sort of have two choices. You can, um, give up or you can... Try to become the adult you didn't think that you were. You and who? See, that's just it. If it was just me, I think I'd probably have given up. But um, I had somebody to watch out for. I had, um, but yeah, I, had, I, I, I had to leave him. You see, I, I didn't. No, I didn't have to. I, I was forced to. eat. I tried to go back for him, but he was gone. So my brother, I don't know where he is. We sort of belonged to this warlord since we were kids. Well, he still is a kid, really. He was right behind me and then he wasn't, you know. He found that one opening, the one thing that you didn't think you'd ever see. And we took it and we ran and um, then he wasn't behind me. And then they were gone. And, um... I tried. I, I did. I looked for him. I did. And then any time I heard the bells, you don't know. You, you, you don't know what the bells mean. But I hear him when I sleep and when I woke up and I couldn't find him. So I ran. I just ran. I didn't know what else to do. I kept thinking, maybe if I run in this one direction, I'll be at the end of something. But you see, nobody came to help us. I think me helping all these people, it made me feel better but then if I can help all these people why can't I help one kid why can't I find one kid if I can find all these people in a different dimension of sound why can't I find him because you're trying to find a kid yourself and we found all these folks together what's your brother's name Hadick Hadick and who is the warlord I don't like to say his name I understand but if we're gonna find him that's our first stop Dremlin. Dremlin. GM, do I know that name? You've heard that before. I'll say small and you have too. Mm-hmm. It's not like one of the big names, but big enough that 
you at least have a vague idea of who that might be. Maybe never met that person, but mm-hmm. in the right circles, you, you've heard that as a mention before. Okay. Yeah, I know the measure of him. That does give us somewhere to start. He's particularly good at flying under the radar, as you will probably know. So am I. <laughs> he is very good. You wouldn't know how big his entourage was, with how quietly they can move, and what they do. I think I might be of particular help here, then. This sounds familiar. I just keep thinking, what if he's, you know... I think if we're going to go find him, it's better to remember that warlords understand the value of the things they own. (laughs) They don't like to break their own toys. Yeah, I guess not. Is, um, Hiddick like you? Can he, like... Nehemiah just kind of, like, shakes his whole body. (laughs) (laughs) He was like me when I was around. I guess he's bubbly and imaginative and all that. But um, when he was alone, when I woke up at night and would look over sometimes, he would be awake just sort of staring. It was like he was slowly decaying away inside, you know? Even if this is still alive, I don't know what what kind of shape he'll be in. I don't even know if he'll recognise me. I mean, it's only a, not even that long ago, but I mean, who knows? I'm so afraid. I feel like such a coward. You took the opening you had. I swear. There's no guarantee you would have gotten a second one. And if he hasn't gotten himself out yet, then it's possible there might not have been a second one. Can he do the the pass-through oh. thing? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. At least not that he ever told me or showed me. Hmm. I suppose he could have been keeping it a secret. Perhaps think of it this way, Jory. If you hadn't gotten yourself out, you wouldn't be in the position to be what you are, which is the person who's going to come and rescue him. And a failed gelato entrepreneur. <laughs> what? What is gelato? It's sort of this, this sweet, cold thing in different flavors. You've never had it. No. You're gonna. All right. So wait, putting aside that this is the first time you've ever mentioned gelato, (laughs) why are you saying you're a failed entrepreneur and then assuring Nehemiah that you just haven't gotten it yet? Oh, dear. (laughs) Got me in a bit of box here. Um. I understand feeling like you failed. But feeling like you failed when you're in the middle of something is not productive. You're not dead yet, which means you have time to go back and rescue your brother. And you have us, which you didn't have before. Um, she starts to cry. (laughs) Nehemiah immediately pulls her into like a big old bear hug. Jory enjoys that and also reaches out and kind of tries to pull Sporin into this hug. <laughs> How successful? Oh, I don't know. What do I have to roll? No, you don't have to roll. Smallrin does not engage in the hug, but she allows herself to be pulled into it. 
does not hug but allows herself to exactly. be hugged. Nehemiah facilitates and pulls in. <laughs> uh, I didn't think I deserved another chance, and um, thank you. If you're standing up, you're getting that chance. <sighs> yeah. Also, just to be brutally honest in this moment. Oh, no. Thinking of it as your chance is rather selfish, isn't it? Usually, yes. My brother's ch- Your chance? Uh, near it, isn't, it isn't about you deserving another chance. It's whether you think he deserves to be rescued. Well, when you put it that way, yes. Let's go. Um, <laughs> you actually all have to take a minute to calm Jory down from like going and getting all of her things nope. right yes. now. Yep. Smallrin is um, deeply regretting not bringing at least one of the coverlets with her, if only to, because she could have thrown it over Jory like a net and just held her down until she calmed down mm-hmm. a little. I have more sticks. I know we need more sticks. Let me get some sticks. <laughs> Why do we need sticks? Why wouldn't we need sticks? <laughs> just wrap her up in a bindle and tie it to the, <laughs> to the sword spear and just walk her back that way. <laughs> you gather Jory back up and make your way back into a gum. At this point, I'd like to do a couple of kind of near future time jumps. We're going to hit about a week from now. Things have started to come back online. There are more sections of the area in the labs below ground that have been cleared out and gotten back into proper use. It looks like everyone now has permanent living situations or at least close to Something like that, Rufus has started to make sure that everyone is going to have their immediate needs taken care of in terms of shelter. Fahura and Iona have figured out the food situation, again, at least partially. And the question then comes down to Voidfriend. Things have settled down now, and it might be time to start figuring out how to get them back. You have gone down a number of times just to check in and with conversations between Edos, Rufus and Adarshi you realize that you probably can get together a power source to get things back online with the cube you have a route to take but the one thing that Edos asked you each to do to make sure that you got back here properly was to focus on something that was so distinct to yourself. And in all your visits with Voidfriend and the other beings down there, they don't have a particularly firm grasp on who or where or when they are anymore. And that has been the topic of conversation for a little while now, figuring out how to make that okay. I would assume in the course of the week, we've had the conversation of like, is there a way to find a way for a Darshi to talk to Voidfriend? Because they are kind of distinctly tethered to two different locations. It's a strange setup. But most of the sound from the orb is recorded down into the memory banks where Voidfriend is. And with a little bit of wrangling, the Ahnan scientists are able to make essentially a two-way recording system where one person can record something and it'll show up there and then vice versa back and forth. So it's clunky. 
It's like sending voicemails. Yeah. Basically, it's clunky, but it works. So let me see if I understand the problem at hand. We know that we can probably get these folks sent back home. The problem is that they have effectively been, from being here so long, been depersonalized to the point where they don't remember what home is. In my conversations with them, yes, they barely remember names, let alone where they came from. They understand this is not where they always were. Mm. And they understand that they are distinctly different from you and the other beings here. And that they've been here a long time. But other than that, it it is a hard connection to make. And even the reminders that I've given them have been a little bit unsuccessful in jogging any sort of memory. Okay. I guess at that point, and the real question is, is there any kindness in actually sending them back? I think so. Okay. Well, they're not supposed to be in this form, you know? Not supposed to be like this. They're limited to, I mean, think of us, right? Yeah, but we were gone for a couple of months. Not even. They've been gone for millennia. If it's any consolation, says Eidos, I think that Delamon might be a good case for saying it would be good to send them back. Fair point. Ashton answered. All right. Well, the trick is just jogging their memory, right? Well, you know my recommendation for everything. I don't think they can eat gelato. gelato. No, it wasn't gelato. Not this time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Music? Have we tried music? It's a very, you know, remember-y thing. It is. Like smell. I wonder if we could get them to remember symphony. Hmm. What sounds do you all remember? What do you think you can pull from your experiences there that might help them reconnect to where they once lived, who they once were? Well, we did visit some market-like places. Mm -hmm. The buzzing of that might be familiar. There's also the harmony that we heard as we first approached the... That's true. ...symphony of it all, but perhaps... That would recreate a feel of coming home. Why don't we try that? Well, Jory, you're definitely the best at creating these. Yeah. Your orchestrations were better than mine. (laughs) (laughs) Not better, just different. Better. (sighs) Kythra walks up, kind of hearing the last bit of that conversation. Hello. You know, we all sing. That's true. We do have... (sighs) An accomplished choir. choir. We do. Oh, perfect. Concert time, yes. I don't know if we could still emit all those sounds like we did. Oh, why not? I mean, my meat voice is way worse than my just, 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 (laughs) like, emitting sound voice. There's no two ways about it. I I use the meat to make the voice. We're all just meat. Look, I don't know what's so funny. We're all just meat. Meat It's not singing anymore. It's It's the meat voice. voice. I use the meat to make the voice. I want that on a shirt. (laughs) No. I want want a limited edition run of like 
a two-shirt pack. One of them says, I went to the meat place and all I got was this crisis of faith. And the other one says, (laughs) I used the meat to make the voice. Shoot. (laughs) Limited edition meat place t-shirts. There's exactly one. Kythro says, you might be limited to that, yes. But we have a little bit more capability in that. And points to the ridge on his head. That's true. We resonate differently. We can't do the same extent of sound effects and strange noises, but uh, we can affect things differently, I think, than just you can. Pretty sure. Anyway. Well, I think that's all I needed to hear. Why don't we uh, set up a performance? You gather the people that you need and start making arrangements to get them down to where Void Friend is. And as this is happening, Kyther asks, what is it we're singing? What are we trying to recreate? The sounds of symphony. All right. I think we can do that. We were there for quite a while. Yes. Anything, any of the smallest things, who knows what's going to spark any individual. I'm going to have... Each of you, roll me something that you do to aid in this. It's going to be a level three, regardless of what it is. I am going to use the combination of seeing past facades and piercing illusions to break this barrier of sound and emotion, if I could. I'm good with that. Kind of tap into it. It's sort of metaphorical. but I'm going to have you make that roll. Level three, you're trained, so it goes down to a two. Six or better. Success with a 19 and minor effect. I'll hold on to that for that minor effect for a moment till we get the other two in mm-hmm. here. Uh, Nehemiah is going to use perception to try and fill out where he notices gaps, maybe essentially acting as fill, literally. Yeah. I'm going to spend for two points of effort. With poetic license and a smile and a word that will essentially give me a third free point of effort, taking it down to an auto success. That would be correct. Nice. I am still going to roll just to see if I crit. Okay. Somehow I still rolled a natural one on that. <laughs> I'm not going to count that. Okay. <laughs> because. Because difficulty are- zero. Right, right. Um, no, you, you do it. What the? Come on. Roll 20. I just... Wow. Just, just wow. Just wow. incredible. Incredible. I'm not going to force that on you. You you do this no problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to use my Ogren orb to help me keep an eye on everybody to see if there's anybody who seems triggered by being back in choir formation and to okay. try to attend to their needs as best as possible so that nobody breaks rank and ruins the song. You are trained in perception, so that'll take a level three down to a level two. Alright, right. I'm gonna spend for a point of effort. So roll a three or better. Roll 20, be good. There we go. Success with a 15. You all kind of position yourself in different places. Jory kind of more near the front of everything, trying to make sure that, essentially that communication both ways is happening, that people aren't being misunderstood that there is a clear line of understanding that no one is seeing an illusion that no one is accidentally emitting a falsehood piercing that facade 
Nehemiah, you add your voice to the areas where you feel that the harmonies and melodies and rhythms are lacking a little bit or fall short from what you remember. Sure. And Smallren, you are keeping an eye out for anyone who is not looking like they're up for this task, looking like this is becoming too overwhelming for them. Jory, what would you like your minor effect to be? Mood. By that I mean a collaboration where the choir feels the highs and lows of what they're singing and can go piano and forte and crescendo and decrescendo and really feels the ins and outs of everything so kind of direct a bit. All of the dynamics hit spot on. Yes. The message is clear and concise. And no one seems to be in a bad place. Small and you're ready. But everyone seems to be okay. Banded together, understanding that in the way that you helped them get back, it's time for them to turn around and help someone else. Nehemiah's voice rings out, and Jory, everything's clear. And you hear the sound of symphony. Less of a exact replication of that song, but a vocal representation of it. But an exact vocal representation, as though sung by the most skilled a cappella choir you've ever heard. And you see slowly a little bit of form and figure come back to the void friends that are standing in group in front of you all. Now looking more like a Darshi, and the one that you know as Void Friend specifically steps forward. Friends? Yeah. Thank you. We remember more. Now? I'm Caden. Hi, Caden. Hey, bud. Thank you so much. I think it's time to go home. Yep, think so. Seems like the thing to do. You be careful out there, all right? We will. You too. There's a lot here and a lot there. We both have places to rebuild, I think. Yep. Good luck. You too, Caden. Caden goes to each of you and puts a hand out in front of you, and it's just electricity sparking. You get a little, like, static shock (laughs) from it, but more than anything else, it kind of just feels like that warm, fuzzy, tingly feeling. Let us know when the time is ready to travel. I think it will be soon. Good. They spend a little bit of time kind of almost like getting to know each other again, having a little bit more remembrance of self. You spend the next couple of days working with Rufus to get a power source hooked up and get all of these sound beings, these sentient sounds made physical up to the orb. Nehemiah, you still have the cube. Mm Mm-hmm. And you do remember the sequence. That sequence is to get you here, though. Guess I'll just try and reverse engineer it. Do it backwards. You do. Underneath the orb, a portal begins to emerge. And one by one, they start walking through it. Each time, an individual sound ringing out. Just in the same way that you each had your individual vocal qualities there, you hear them as they walk through. Some beautiful tones, others 
ridiculous onomatopoeia, each one very distinct. Caden is the last to go through. Thank you again. You've helped so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Go pass it on out there, all right? We will. As he walks through the portal, you hear the flutter of wings. Yes. Nehemiah, you close the cube and it dissipates in your hands. As the portal disappears, so does that device. And you hear a small sniffle as Adarshi peers, just crying a little bit. Mostly in happiness and thankfulness. Thank you. I know I can't really join them any longer, but that means so much to me. To see them go back to where they belong. Thank you. Wish we could do more for you. We'll figure that out in time. I was going to say, you have Edos in there with you. There's no one who better understands this on this side. Hey, 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 what about me? What about me? I'm not saying that you're not a charming companion, Nick, but Edos has been studying the orb for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. From what I understand, you kind of got tangled up in this pretty quick on after getting here. Yeah, maybe, you know. (laughs) Not a signing fault. I'm just stating the fact. (laughs) rumbles a little bit but then kind of like disappears again (laughs) oh my god over the next week or two what's one thing you do to wrap up everything that's happened I will say in that time Dio does get back with Molly Nehemiah would as the original inhabitants are getting themselves settled back in he'll start talking to a bunch of them and see who is able and willing to serve as security for the area. You know, Mm. we've got more people. That's more people to protect. You get a decent number of people. Mostly the group that went down with you Mm -hmm. originally. The the small collection of them who had gone down to continue exploring. Most of them volunteer. And you end up with a pretty sizable guard force. People who can help serve in shifts and just make sure that things are protected. And of course, as more people are added to the population here, there's always the chance of disputes and disagreements. And some of them even agree to kind of serve as mediators for those moments. Do you serve as the head of that? Do you appoint someone else? I would probably serve alongside like Dio and Adriel. Sure. Because I, I I cannot imagine that Adriel would allow a security force to exist without his involvement. I mean, we've already talked about us maybe bouncing out of here again in the relatively near future. I need other people that are going to be here. So while I do want to be in that mix, I know there needs to be a chain of command beyond me. Adriel offers to essentially be the overseer of everything. Sure. Dio is going to be more feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. Thank you for recruiting all these people, Nehemiah. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that um, this will be sufficient moving forward. Mm -hmm. For the longest time, I've been the only person watching out for most of these things, with the handful of guards here and there becoming useful, though not as observant. These things take time. People gotta learn. They do gotta learn, and we are darn right gonna teach them. (laughs) Darn right. You and me and Adriel... We're going to make sure that this group here is going to keep us all safe. Mm -hmm. 
a lot of stuff out there. They don't stand a chance. Not here. Dio kind of like claps you on the back, Nehemiah, and goes to clap Adriel and then thinks twice about <laughs> it and walks away. I have something I want to do, but it's less wrap up and more potentially set up for future stuff. That's fine. Yeah, go for it. Smallrin seeks out Adriel. I wanted to talk to you. Yes, about what? A while ago, you made me an offer to become part of an organization that you are a part of. I did. Have you had time to consider that? I have. I don't know that I'm willing to become part of an organization again. Not now. But I may need to make use of a wider network than I currently have available to me. Mm. Would you be willing to put me in touch with some people in aid of Jory? Hmm. I would be willing to put you in touch with people. Just keep in mind that I am probably the most altruistic one of that entire group. I don't need altruism. I'm a useful person. What I need is people with information and connections that I can parley with. They might ask a lot of you, but yes, I can put you in contact with some people. Have you ever had any encounters with a warlord named Dremlin? I've heard that name before. Can't say that I've had any direct interaction, though. Nasty reputation. That I do remember. That's the direction we'll be heading in. If you can reach out and find some people who might be able to give us some information. I'll see what I can do. Thank you. Just so long as you aren't bringing any more unwanted attention here. We don't want droves of mercenaries and scrappers and opportunity seekers, do we? Absolutely not. Wonderful. Give me a while and I'll see what I can drum up for you. Thank you. And they both slink away, <laughs> I would imagine. Yep. yep. Jory. Three very important things. <laughs> First, I'm I'm going to check on Molly directly. Hey. Hi. You find him sitting in the first tree having breakfast one morning. Well, now, did you have a good journey? The journey back here was just fine, yeah. And before? Dio's a heck of a talker. <laughs> that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, no, that was that was good. That was good. Um, uh getting out of that beanstalk place was a trip. Yes. Big trip. Yes. But you managed to do it. We did. We left him behind, but, um... Mac won't stop talking about the prophet who went to live with the stones. Ugh. <sighs> uh, <laughs> Whoopsie. I should have seen... Well, I did see it coming. I saw it happening, so not... Um... Well. Just letting you know, if, um, if you ever go back there, um... Be prepared for that. You... You might have a strange cult following. It's when you least want to start a religion. <laughs> <sighs> That's honestly a miracle. It only happened once. <laughs> that we know of. Uh, that we know of, yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the journey was okay and that you found your way out and um, that you have a nice place to settle. So I'm very happy to be here where there is less adventurous things happening at the moment. I... I've spent a lot of time uh, being a man of opportunity, and I'm happy to be a man of Legam for now. Yeah, I like it. 
Well, if you need anything, I'm here. I'll let you know. Hmm. Excellent. To Lou, I have two main objectives. Okay. First is I would like to start to train Blue to do some tricks to entertain. Uh, go ahead and roll me intellect. I'm going to give you an asset, but this is a level seven. Asset for interacting with Blue. Failure with a five. It's hard. Yep. You are eventually able to teach them a couple of things. Basic commands, mostly. Okay. Especially using that little remote that you have. You'd think it would be easy with a remote, but why is this so difficult? Eventually you realize that the way to connect to a grieving machine is to help it heal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's going to take a little bit more time than just the couple of weeks. Yep, that sounds about right. Oh, but the most important thing that I'm going to be doing is my ongoing quest for salted Benbane gelato. <laughs> You do eventually work with Rufus to make a chilling machine. Oh, yeah. I like to think my schematics were basically just a box with, mm-hmm. like, a churn wheel drawn very, yeah, very poorly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and the two of you do work it out. And it is very good. Mm-hmm. A little bit of time goes by. And one day, you get a call from one of the guards up on the wall yelling down, saying that there is a large group of people coming your way on the horizon. I'll uh, head out to meet them. It doesn't take long for you to recognize the Ixam, the storytelling nomads. Oh, yeah. yeah. And their illusion creators. <laughs> the giant babies. The big babies. No big babies uh, this time. Okay. Not about the baby. <laughs> it only happens when they're spooked. But you ride out to meet them, and they say that they are here, as promised, in their travels. And a celebration is set up mm. between Legam coming into its own, the Ixam being here, and there being so many more stories to tell between the Atnan and you and the Ixam. Days go by as you recount the stories of the past, the hopes of the future, and the plans for what this place might become. And the sun eventually sets as fires burn in the camps outside of Legam, and glow globes float outside doors within the city, and songs are sung, songs of places that are and were and will yet be. I got goosebumps, (laughs) y'all. Yo! Yo! <laughs> Zan! Yo! Yo. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to episode 73 of Imprinted Echoes. Again, from the bottom of my heart, I don't think I can thank you enough for listening to our show. I would also like to thank our wonderful team who makes Imprinted Echoes happen. First off, thank you to my wonderful players, Rin, Chase, and Bridget. This podcast would quite literally not be possible without you. And of course, a special shout out to Chase for co-producing as well as being the best creative director a showrunner could ask for. Thank you also to our editors past and present, 
Pat and Alex, your skills in making this story even more real have been indispensable. Thank you for being my creative partners in this journey. In terms of what's coming next, we will have two episodes upcoming that I think you'll enjoy. The first is a reflection conversation we had about the season, the characters, and the progression of the story and show. It's very fun, very candid, and very heartfelt. The second is a conversation we had about the mechanics of the cipher system. While I'm sure that most of you have picked up on the basics of this system over the course of the past few years, we thought it was high time we talked about the specifics of the game we use to tell these stories. After that, we'll be taking a short break before picking up with Season 2. For Season 2, we will be continuing to follow Nehemiah, Smallrin, and Jory, seeing as there's so much more of their stories to tell. And I hope you'll join us as we do. As always, if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Imprinted Echoes and our website, imprintedechoes.com. There you'll find links to the Ghostlight Media merch store and our Patreon if you can help us out monetarily. And in that vein, I would love to thank Roger, Duval, and Chuck for their continued support. If you'd like to help us out in other ways, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating and review, and tell a friend about the show. Especially as we launch into a new season, those things go a long way in helping us out. Of course, you can find our hosts on Twitter, myself at Covered in Sawdust, Chase at TQ Loudly, Rin at Rin underscore Moran, and Bridget at Really Bridget. And be sure to follow our network, Ghostlight Media, at GLM Pods. Thank you once again for listening, and I hope you'll be back in two weeks to hear a slightly different episode of Imprinted Echoes. And until then, may your ciphers never malfunction. Imprinted Echoes is produced by Zan Campbell-Johannes and Chase Greenley, and is edited by Alex Berkowitz. Original show theme music is by Justin Longacre. This has been a Ghost Light Media production.